Welcome back to Love, Life, and Legacy, a podcast dedicated to helping you navigate these hypersexualized times of ours. I have some screaming children in the background. Don't even mind them for a second. So in today's episode, Benji and I are going to get into wet dreams. This is a topic that's been requested of us by a number of people. So we are doing it. We're making it happen. We're getting into the weeds on this topic and helping you unpack it so that you can make sense of what are wet dreams, why do they happen, and what you can do next in relation to wet dreams. So enjoy the podcast, everybody. All right. Hi, folks. This is the podcast. Welcome back. We're here with Andrew Love, myself, Benji Uyama. Hey. <laughs> so that was... Hold on. That was Benji's first intro. And he said, he said, the pot, what's the name of the podcast? Love, Life and Legacy. A podcast about sex and integrity and focusing your sexual energy in a productive way to be a creator and not a consumer. And that is especially applicable for today's topic, which is about wet dreams, right? And this is a topic that has come up uh, at least multiple times in groups that I've run. And recently it's been coming up. So we decided to, to dive into this topic. And Andrew's got a lot of really insightful things that he's learned and been studying. And uh, also I want to share experience about from the perspective of a individual who, you know, is going through a porn recovery and trying to gain sexual integrity and kind of is struggling because they don't want to have these sexual dreams, dreams that are sexual in nature. And that's really the, the difficulty of this. And so they kind of feel dirty and and guilty and shameful around this, but we want to bring it out in the open, actually talk about it from a more factual standpoint, right? Yeah, to help you navigate this topic, because it's really, really interesting. I love the fact that we have our faith because it helps us decipher. You can, like in all my research and all this, there's like the Christian viewpoint, there's different religious viewpoints, then there's the kind of nofap viewpoint, and then there's the secular viewpoint, and then there's the secular progressive viewpoint. And to kind of navigate all these different, wildly different viewpoints, it's really important to understand, well, what's the purpose of all this? Because nobody's asking that. They're like, no, it's fine. No, it's bad. No, it's good. No, Well, like, what's the point of sex? Do we have control over ourselves? You know, there's some very fundamental questions that need to be asked and answered before you get into like the details about this, right? Because otherwise you're just looking at, again, it's like a symptom. Okay, what's you, you have a wet dream? Great, cool. Is it good or bad? Well, it depends. What's your worldview? And you know, so I want to get into. I I would love to unpack this from a few different angles, but just to start with the end in mind, you know, first of all, to add guilt or shame to any aspect of your life doesn't help. Mm-hmm. Period. So sure. if you have a wet dream, to feel guilty or ashamed and to hold that as some bad thing, that's obviously not productive. It doesn't help. Okay, first and foremost. So should you be ashamed? No, doesn't help. I know Uncle Dave's viewpoint on this is like, he, you know, he pats people on the back when they have a wet dream. You know, he's like, hey, great, good job. Good for you, right? <laughs> That's his viewpoint. I like that. So what I would like to talk about and let, go in with you, Benji, is what do you think in terms of can you control wet dreams? Let's, let's get into that. Let's unpack that. Yeah, well, from my understanding a wet dream is something that is a natural occurrence to release stagnant semen sperm for men mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and what seems to be the the line or what what people feel the shame and guilt around is they're bringing typically bringing sexual content into that dream based on previous experiences or previous exposure to pornographic material whatever 
into that red dream. And it's very common people in our groups to have sexual dreams about them watching porn, especially when you're so focused on not watching porn, <laughs> you know, or mm. not eating cheeseburgers or going to McDonald's. And as soon as you have the dream, it's like, oh my God, was that a dream? Did I just miss, did I just miss, mess, you know, take a misstep and make a mistake? Mm. And that's, that's a, a kind of common thing about it. For me, I think that the, the healthy approach, like you said, Andrew, is anything regarding shame, guilt is not productive. It's not healthy in the long term. And it's not going to help you actually get to the place where you want to go regarding your sexual integrity, regarding especially if you are dealing with an ongoing porn addiction or habit. Mm. And so for me, when the line is drawn, when you are kind of bringing sexual content into your dreams kind of intentionally as a kind of a, a way to navigate around not watching porn. And I've done that. And I think that's especially common for young adolescent men, right? Mm -hmm. So trying to have sexual dreams as, and to say that, well, it's not watching porn because it's part of my dream and it's a natural thing. At the same time, you could debate all day long about what's healthy and unhealthy, but is it really a productive use of your energy, your sexual mm -hmm. energy and your time to do that? Or is there something better you could do <laughs> with your energy? Or are you just kind of using it as a scapegoat? So that's a whole thing, right? Dreams and sexuality. And it's not as clean cut, but yeah. Well, it can be. So I heard this one doctor giving a lecture about this topic and it was pretty interesting because she was talking about, well, it depends where you're at in your recovery cycle. So in the beginning, let's say you're just starting to get into not watching porn, you know, not masturbating, you're, you're reacclimatizing your mind and all that. There's still like residual thoughts and connections to that world of being, of watching porn and all this. So your brain is still largely pornified. And so even when you start to segue out of that world, having such dreams, like wet dreams is kind of common because you've kind of already, you've started the process of sexualizing your body. So you, these dreams are more likely because they're already in your subconscious mind because you've already infused so much of them. Okay. So think about this. When you have an incident happen to you, it's much more likely to go deep into your subconscious if it's fused with emotion. And guess what we do when we masturbate to something? We're adding emotion. We're adding some sort of meaning to the imagery that we're seeing. And then it becomes meaningful to us. So then it's a part of not only like our consciousness, what we're thinking about it, but our unconscious mind, which is what's operating when we're asleep, right? Mm -hmm. So when, again, when you're kind of going through this process of unplugging from the porn matrix and you're trying to plug into something healthier, there's still some residual thoughts and feelings and connection to that old world. So especially as you're in the early stage, it's much more likely to occur, right? There's some practical stuff that I learned too, like don't sleep naked. There's a lot more friction that will take place, you know, if you sleep on your stomach as well. Imagine you're, you're you know, especially if you're a guy, you're, things are going to be kind of rubbing up and moving and around and, and creating some sort of friction, which creates stimulus, right? Yeah. So there's that too. The type of textures that you know, of your bed sheets and all this stuff factors into it. But my question to you is, do you think that you can control your dreams, your unconscious mind? Do you, do you believe, have you ever experienced that? Have you ever like lucid dreaming, mm. um, having some sort of say as to what occurs while you're asleep? I have a bit of experience in this, if you're asking me personally. Yeah, um, I am. I think this is a bit of a a story, but also it's relevant to the conversation. I, I have a really good friend who is very much into lucid dreaming. He was teaching me all about this. And for him, it's not, you know, when you actually look up lucid dreaming online, the typical kind of person that tries to lucid, lucid dream is for sexual content. 
they're trying to have sexual experiences through their dreams as really? a goal. But there is entire like sect or group of individuals in specific religious communities that use lucid dreaming as a spiritual practice as opposed to self-satisfaction, right? Mm -hmm. Or just being able to fly for this. They, they actually use lucid dreaming as a way to meditate and a way to clear their minds while they're sleeping and sleep more deeply, which yeah. I thought was very fascinating because if you think about like, you know, true father's experience of sleep, it was very minimal, two hours, three hours a night, even at times. And how is it that a human being is able to operate at that level on such little sleep? There's something going on during the sleep, right? There's some level of meditation or clearing the mind. And so there's, there's these practices of lucid dreaming is like you certain get to a certain stage where you're inside your dream, you are eventually get to a point where you can just inside your dream, you can just sit and just meditate throughout your entire sleep. Like that's your entire dream is just meditating while you're sleeping. Mm -hmm. And when you can do that, and just clear your brain of all subconscious worries, fears, distractions, addictions, whatever it may be, and just be blank, then you can sleep in a more peaceful and deep manner. And so I thought that was really fascinating. I played with lucid dreaming just for a bit because I wanted to fly. <laughs> but it just takes so much uh, control and intention. And some people are just more conscious of their dreams than, than I am. And I just couldn't do it. So I gave up. Sure. So I, I bring this up because I think a lot of people think that their resting state, like when they're asleep, is somehow disassociated entirely from the day that they just had. And they think, oh, I just go to bed and then I go to sleep. And then I, oh, that was a weird dream. Okay. But sometimes, yes, things might come out of left field or it's you have a dream based on an experience you had when you were a little kid and maybe it's some suppressed emotion or something that you, it happened way long ago. But so often, what I, I've, I've tried this out so many times, and I believe it to be 100% true for me, at least, is that how you live your day and how you wind down prior to going to sleep impacts the quality of your sleep and the type of dreams that you have, right? Your environment too. Like sometimes when you're traveling and you're sleeping in a hotel, I've had some very strange dreams mm -hmm. in hotels because yeah. of the spirit in there and just the environment. It's just really weird. But even that you can prepare it. You can prepare the, the room and, and you can prepare yourself. But let's just say for the average person sleeping in your normal bed to wind down and start having the type of thoughts that you would want to have while you're asleep before because you meditate before bed. I don't go to sleep without meditating. I can't. I don't get nearly as good of sleep. I'm not as deep asleep. But also I want to think about certain things. I want to put my mind there consciously. But I also like you start to feel certain emotions when you conjure certain images in your mind. And so you're, you're already feeling some stuff. So the chance that you're going to continue feeling that is much more likely that you're not just going to feel great while you're falling asleep and then wake up in a hot sweat with some weird dream, right? Mm -hmm. So there is that fact. Because I know that, you know, I've talked to some people and I've coached some people about their wet dreams. And they were when they were getting it frequently, I was like, well, what what's going on with your life? And a lot of it was they were kind of if you can imagine your sexuality as kind of like this fire, there's ways of stoking the fire within you, right? And let's say when you have a raging inferno, that's when you're extremely horny, <laughs> right? But throughout your day, you know, looking at that at Instagram before bed, do you think that might impact your dreams? Probably. Yeah. Even if you looked at Instagram during the day, even if you were walking down the street, checking out guys, girls, you know, you, you kind of like you're stimulating something in you and maybe it's just some embers. Maybe it's not a fire, but it's still not, it's still there. 
and it's still likely to somehow, you know, flare up at some point. And why not when you're asleep, when your defenses are down? So part of this, I know, is like based on how you go to bed, even the foods that you eat. When we were in Korea together, Benji, you and I, remember we went to this really long workshop and there was this, <laughs> this really bad habit that they got into of giving us donuts and ice cream right before bed. And what I noticed was I was having the most vivid, insane, scary, frightening dreams when I would have a lot of sugar right before bed. Every single time they gave us a Krispy Kreme donut and I would eat it and then I'd go to sleep, I'd have the most terrifying dreams. It's the craziest thing. And when I didn't, those dreams wouldn't happen. So please understand, I'm not saying this is 100% why, but this is a factor. Think about what you're eating and what you're thinking about throughout the day, but especially within a couple hours before bed, especially, yeah. especially. And that's like the bad stuff that you're consuming or non-productive stuff. But if you flip that around, what could you be doing instead of that? Stretching your body is really important. Meditating, that's like stretching your mind and spirit. Breathing, doing breath work, calming yourself, having a, a nice, like not too hot shower, I heard. Too hot showers are not so good, but like a cool shower before bed. All this stuff really contributes to a state of productive sleep. I've been hearing success from some of the guys in my group who have started, before they went to sleep, they started journaling. Because in my group, I really, in, in the program in general, emphasize the importance of self-introspection and reflection on your state of mind, your state of emotion, and just your, your health, your physical state. And they started doing this journaling before bed. And I think it really does supercharge them for the next day. Not only that, but especially when they're sleeping. It kind of sets their subconscious up with that context. And even for me, I don't journal before I bed, but I have to like, even if it's for 20 seconds at the very least, <laughs> I'll just think about what is important to me. Like what is important? Reprioritize myself to what I'm trying to do with my life. Because if not, if I don't set myself up that way before bed, the default thing that I'll usually do is like go on YouTube or watch Family Guy, whatever stupid thing that I like <laughs> just to kind of wind down for the day. Sure. Tony Robbins does the same thing, by the way, which I found out, which is cool. Watch his family guy <laughs> before bed. Anyways, so doing something that just like prioritizes like what is important. And the next thing I do that day or that night or while I sleep is always more in line with what's important to me. And it's never making more money or it's never status or ego or whatever. It's always about how I can help, how I can improve myself, my relationship with God, my health, my state of being, all that stuff. And yeah. So journaling, that can be very powerful. It's, it's probably the cheesiest thing I could say and kind of hard to do for a lot of people, but it can be extremely powerful just to, just to reflect, right? Yeah. It's also the process of getting thoughts out of you, right? Because a lot of times you're stuck in this loop, you just have to get it out of you and it's very cathartic. No, there's a lot of studies done. It's very impactful. This is a great conversation because there are, there's no evidence to say that it's entirely induced by external factors, right? That sometimes you'll have a wet dream just physiologically, right? I don't think there's evidence one way or another, but what I'm suggesting is from my own experience and helping other people do the same, reach the same results is it's definitely a factor what goes on into your eyes and ears throughout the day, into your senses, what comes out in your subconscious, you know, when you're asleep. It's definitely a factor and how you go to sleep definitely makes a difference. But again, when you go back to, you know, there, there could be some physiological need to release, right? If, if your body's going through something or if it's changing, who knows, 
I don't believe that there's enough evidence one way or another to suggest either. But so if it does happen and you have sometimes like I never had a wet dream my whole life until actually I was matched. And then I started having all sorts of crazy dreams. This is I'd like to get into dreams just a little bit because we're talking about wet dreams, because sometimes you have a wet dream and you don't even remember a sexual dream. You just wake up and it just happened. Your body just released something. Right. But sometimes it's connected to a dream. And I just want to say that I grew up one way outside of the church. I had girlfriends and stuff like this. And then when I joined our movement, I just, I stopped everything. I like went clean. I stopped masturbating. I stopped watching porn, everything. I guess they call it no fapping now, but this is pre no fap, pre branding, right? But it's just like, I had a clear reason why. And for some reason or another, it wasn't a struggle for me. I had other issues, ego, whatever. But that was about two years, no issues whatsoever. And then I got matched. I started hanging out with my future wife and we started spending a lot of time together. We'd start hugging and stuff like this. And all of a sudden, started having some crazy dreams, man. And there was it wasn't like, you know, me and her sexual dreams. It was more like intense, weird dreams of being sexually assaulted and stuff like this, stuff that I have no idea where it came from. But all I knew is that in my dream, if I was weak, and somehow acquiesced to whatever sexual act was being imposed upon me, then I would have a wet dream. First time in my life, when I was, that, that time I was like 30 years old. Up until that point, no wet dreams, no idea about these things, right? I've heard about them, obviously. My parents gave me a book about it. <laughs> they didn't talk about it. They slipped a book into my bookshelf when I was like 10 or something. And I just found it one day. I was like, what is this? Wow. <laughs> Where did this come from? So I had read about it, but never experienced it until until I was matched. And then I realized that, in my, my understanding of it, my unpacking of what was going on was my kind of spirit world, my energy was starting to coalesce with another person. And we were bringing not just us, but all of our ancestry with us through our genetics, through our DNA, but also energetically. And she was bringing the same. And there was like this weird, it's like coagulating. Like when you have a bunch of ingredients cooking together, there's a time when they're separate ingredients. And then there's this process where they become one ingredient right? Spaghetti sauce is a bunch of different ingredients that through heating and whatever becomes one cohesive thing, right? And when you're kind of going and you're meeting somebody and you're learning about them and you're building an attraction with them, you're understanding them, you're also, stuff is happening that is beyond you. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because there's stuff going on psychologically, physiologically, but then there's spiritual stuff happening that is really hard to put your thumb down. And that's the point first time in my life where I started having wet dreams. And it was, again, not because I was lusting after this person. It was some crazy stuff that I don't even, I can't even explain. But I remember that in my dreams very clearly, if I was very clear and I was like, no, and I was like stood up for myself, then I wouldn't have a wet dream. Because in my dream, I was consciously saying no. But if I kind of let it happen to me, then I'd have a wet dream. I'd wake up feeling like I'd just been violated. It was, it was the weirdest thing. So I, I typically caution people when they're going through the matching process, when they're kind of courting, you know, another person that, you know, just be careful because the more you kind of get comfortable with somebody hugging them, holding hands, whatever, you're activating stuff in you that you might not fully understand. So just I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just saying, be careful and understand that sometimes you're unearthing some stuff, you know, because yeah. I definitely went through that. And I've seen it happen a few times with different people that they're like, what's going on with my body right now? I was like, well, what, are you matched with somebody? And a lot of times they are. Yeah, that's something that I, I experienced similarly. And 
with multiple other guys and, and women who go through a matching process and receive the blessing. Cause I work with a lot of couples doing that. And it's very common to, especially regarding pornography to go a long time without any slip-ups or urges regarding masturbation porn. As soon as you're in a relationship, this is what happened to me. Right? As soon as I was blessed within a year, it was like, had very, very strong temptation in that area. And I didn't really understand it because I had been clean for, for years, right? And I was just feeling really on top of the world, my sexual energy and integrity. And then as soon as I was blessed, pretty much, I was like hit with so much temptation. Mm. And it was really scary because you've made this life eternal commitment, right? To a spouse. Yeah. And this is what a lot of people who are single now are afraid of. Uh, and it's, it's actually very common. So I told my dad about this, right? And I was like, this is really hard. I don't know what to do. And something he, he helped me understand is that when you're in a relationship, when you're blessed, it's really a different level. You're at a different level. You're not yourself alone. There's another person involved. It's a different dynamic. It's a different sexual energy. It's a different relationship with pornography, with masturbation. And it's a different kind of way to approach it. But also, like you said, it kind of brings in the spiritual elements, the emotional relationship, relational, relational hey, elements. How's it going there, baby? <laughs> 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 It brings in the relational elements of that relationship. And what occurred to me at the time is that this is just the next level of my integrity. This is the next level of what it's going to take. And focusing that energy on my spouse and on myself to grow through this experience. It's really interesting that people going through Ascend have just feel really confident. And you know, most of the single people that are going through our program with High Noon are there partly because they want to prepare themselves to be a good husband or wife in the future. That is a huge priority for people without a doubt. Mm -hmm. And to face with the reality that you might be in a relationship that this might come up is challenging. But I want to encourage everyone who is going through that experience that every couple that I've seen successfully navigate pornography, masturbation, sexual integrity has communicated about this well. Yeah. In their matching process throughout their blessing. It has never been, let's just skirt it under the rug and not talk about it and just pretend like I, I beat it. They always, all the, all the couples that we have on the podcast, we talk about on YouTube, the Roberts and Karinas of the world, those couples all had certain, at certain point during their relationship, had to have these difficult conversations and manage and navigate it together and to beat it together and to look at this issue as a team, as opposed to fighting the issue against each other. They were fighting the issue as a team. Yeah. And that's just what it takes. That's that's what it takes. Yeah. Yeah. Understanding it and, and processing it, right? To me, it was I had clearly turned off the faucet. You know, my sexual, my sexual energy, I just turned off that faucet. And then when I started, you know, getting into relationship with my potential lifelong partner, it was my faucet was closed, really, but there was like a bit of a leak, if you know what I'm saying. Cause it was like, you know, we were touching. And we were hugging, we were canoodling at times, right? Going to the movie, my, maybe my arm was around here, stuff, something like that. It was a new experience and that was stimulating something in me. And it was, again, it wasn't like I was becoming sexual with her, sexually attracted to her in that way. It was more like there were inert systems in me that became active, if you know what I mean. And, and again, that can, that can have all sorts of different outlets. But for me, it was some crazy subconscious or spiritual phenomena where I was just having these crazy dreams. And in my dreams, I realized that that was the next level of my sexual integrity was I have to have sexual integrity when I'm asleep. I need to clearly know when somebody's trying to, and that has happened to me since. Like in our marriage, every so often I'll have dreams. Since. Like in our marriage, every so often I'll have dreams that if I'm not clear about 
where I'm at with my wife and how much I'm committed to her, then there'll be temptresses in my dreams who try to coerce me to be with them. If I'm not 100% clear, then I wake up feeling like I've just had an affair with my wife. It's a horrible feeling. It's a really terrible feeling. But when I am clear, I'm so clear even in my dreams, right? I'm clear in my dreams. Night and day, I'm clear. So that's something that's worth striving for is, again, not to judge ourselves. If you have some crazy dream, it's, you know, it's not always within our realm of control. But I do believe we can assert quite a bit of control even in our sleeping state when we're living a very congruent and vertical life where we're very clear about who we are, what we want out of life, we can stand up for ourselves even in our dreams. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I can't speak with great authority on that outside of my own experience, but I do know that lucid dreaming, like that guy, Tim Ferriss, he did it to practice his wrestling when he was in high school and he became such a better wrestler because he was using his dream time, his sleep time to envision how to wrestle better, and he would wake up and he would just be better because he'd already been practicing all night, right? He kind of learned how to optimize. He's such a nerd, right? He optimizes everything, but he could even optimize his sleep to be better while he was awake. So I know there are ways of doing this. I don't know how much you should go down that rabbit hole because I don't know how productive it is because you can get lost. There's some people who get lost in that, that world of lucid dreaming. You can buy lucid dream tea. I tried that when I was like, you know, 20 something. I got into lucid dreaming tea and I had some, I don't know if it was psychosomatic, but I felt like I had some really good dreams, but it's not, it's secondary to the main purpose, which is, you know, your restful state is meant to allow your body to kind of fix itself. And if you're having disturbing dreams or if you're having strange experiences, then it's worth looking at where are you at psychologically? What kind of media are you listening to? Is it impacting you? I mean, I swear to you, if I hear like a lot of pop music, I just feel terrible about my life. It impacts me. So I just try not to listen. Most pop music is garbage. Even if it sounds like it's the nice beat, what they're talking about is just garbage. <laughs> Even back in the day, you listen to the Motown music, li listen to the lyrics of Motown music. It's garbage. It's, so much of it is garbage and it's depressing. So it impacts you. All that stuff is impacting you in some way, shape or form. So not to scare you, but just to let you know that you have the power to kind of customize your waking life for sure. And you can have a lot of influence about how you sleep and what you dream about. I can't say 100%, but you definitely have a lot of say if you practice certain things. Can I ask a question? I want to take sure. this conversation to a bit of a big picture. Something that I, I struggled with or questioned a lot is, and I think a lot of our participants, high new people are wondering and struggling with, is that we have this like ideal and a kind of standard that, especially during our adolescent time, that we're supposed to be focusing on preparing ourselves for family, marriage, et cetera, focusing our energy on creating and being helpful and whatever. But at the same time, we have this enormous raging <laughs> sexual hormone imbalance, basically, that's going on at the same time. Yeah. So the question is why? Like you were saying earlier, we don't really ask the question why not how, but why is it that we have such strong sex drive at a time where we're supposed to be saving it, right? So things are way different than they were, first of all, because there is a woman who is kind of progressive back in the 30s. It was, I think, pre-World -War, War II era, okay? And she wanted to kind of, she was like of the Keynesian mind where she wanted to prove that college men were actually secretly having a lot more sex and doing dirty things and masturbating a lot more. So she kind of did a study. She studied a bunch of university people and she found out that they were masturbating a lot less than she assumed, right? 
This is like 100 years ago, let's say. It's 90 to 100 years ago. And when you look back at the world back then, masturbating had a different connotation. It was perceived in a different way. That didn't mean that people weren't horny. Guys, you know, it didn't mean like that. But the culture didn't stimulate you constantly like it does now. Everywhere you look, everything is sexualized. We have sex dripping from the walls of the buses that we sit in or billboards everywhere or anytime you go to social media, you just lambasted with this stuff, right? So it's constantly just stirring up the sexuality in you, right? So I just want to, I do want to paint a picture that our world is completely working against the purity model, the not being stimulated model, because everywhere we turn, we're stimulated, stimulated. When some women, like if they were to wear like a long dress versus wearing like yoga pants, <laughs> right? It's like the world was a lot different. And I'm not saying that yoga pants are bad. I'm just saying there's this constant stimulus that I'm speaking from the That's male huge, perspective. Yeah. So we're hyper stimulated and we're kind of, the odds are against us. We're swimming up current. But if you can imagine a society, okay, Benji, where we're really looking out for each other and you have a lot of mentorship and elder brothers looking out for you, if you're a young lady, elder sisters that you can go to. When you consult somebody that you really respect and they listen to you and they hear you out and they support you, you feel a lot different when you walk away. You can walk into a conversation with somebody like an elder brother feeling so frustrated, so horny, so agitated, whatever, and talking to them can calm you down so much because you're being filled up with something real. That's love and attention. Societies used to have elders that you could consult. Their only job within the tribe was to be a consultant. They're people that had been around a long time and they would give you wisdom based on their experience. And that's their only role in that society is to provide support and love for the younger generations. That stuff if you have a society based on people like that who are looking out for the younger generations, you're just learning how to orient your, your systems, right? If you see a kid who's in middle school, his nose is huge, his, everything's disproportionate. It's called the ugly ducking phase because your body's all off kilter because certain parts are growing faster than others. You're not like a, you're not a finished product yet, right? So that's just physiologically, that's like how you look. But emotionally, you're also having all these systems being turned on at different times and you're kind of going through it. And so without guidance, it's hell. But with guidance and with some understanding, you're meant to learn how to use these systems for your benefit, Yeah. And there are societies that have a much better tradition of doing this. The Hindu tradition has a very clear way of passing on knowledge and helping people to get through this age without getting wrapped up in sexuality. They have clear talks about this. You should study it. It's really, really cool. It's not so hard for them because there's a clear culture that supports this growth. Do you know what I mean? So yes, our bodies are changing and we have hormones that are going up and down. But to help regulate that is the fact that we're sentient beings. Okay, so you're... The invisible you, your mind and your spirit, that is meant to regulate the chemical you, your hormones, how you're feeling, your mood swings, all this stuff. And you can learn how to do this. You're not going to be good in the beginning, but you can learn this skill over time. And you're meant to learn that from people who know how to do it, who care about you, who invest in you, learning how to calm your emotions if, you're, if you have a hot temper, learning how to stop obsessing over being loved and getting likes from the girls around you or boys around you at school. Does that make sense? So in that culture, it's not, the stakes aren't so high. It's not like you're walking on a razor's edge. It's like there's support and you're being guided through this stuff intellectually understanding through conversations, emotionally feeling more calm because you're going through stuff, but at least you know you're being supported. It's totally different. 
that's why high noon, we're in a place where we can have high school groups now. Kids that that was never on the table before, but mm-hmm. we're evolving into that culture. And the more that we have that, and the more young people that have sexual integrity, the more that that's going to become normalized. And then you realize it's actually not that much of a struggle. We're told from every source imaginable that masturbation is normal and to not masturbate is the most impossible thing in the world. So that's your concept is that to not masturbate is the hardest thing in the world. Actually, it's not that hard. When you have a lot of meaning and purpose and support, it's really not that hard. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Andrew. I had this question pretty much answered with similarly with something I read from True Father, Father Moon. He said that when you think about your life, you should think about it in stages. And he specifically talked about stages of seven years, you know, kind of like ideally the stages of like seven, zero to seven is like your formation. Seven, 14 is your growth period when you're growing the most. 14, 21 completion stage. And he's saying that that the purpose of those time periods, those time frames, is to by the time you're 21, you know, it's a general number to have mastery and control over yourself. Yeah. And I think this is like the purpose for me. That's the purpose of my sex drive, especially during those times, is to direct that energy, not just not to just abstain for the sake of abstaining, but to have self mastery, but also to direct that energy towards creating something, towards building something, through towards doing something powerful and exciting. You know, when you masturbate and watch porn, after you do that, your your feeling is not generally more excited about life. It's usually depleted. You yeah. generally always deplete your energy, your focus after slipping up, after doing that. Instead of that, what if we could just hone that energy and, and hone in on focusing it on creating something, about doing things that excite for us? And like you're saying, Andrew, that the problem is that ability to focus, that ability to create something, to be creators, is being hijacked by the hypersexualized culture and stimulation yeah. constantly. It's being completely hijacked. And Absolutely. that's where we're starting at with high noon. And of course, like that's hundred years ago, you know, whatever <laughs> we can talk all, all we can about that. Unfortunately, the current this situation we're in right now is that we're being exposed to such sexualized content everywhere you go, right? You mentioned yoga pants. You know, this yoga pants is an example of so many things that have changed over the last 50 years. Whereas sure. 50 years ago, if people, if men and women were wearing the things we're wearing right now, it would be like, what are you doing? Right. It's like, <laughs> it's just undeniable that things have changed. It's not necessarily sure. right or wrong, but it's changed. And it's undeniable that it's changed because men, we are unable to look at a woman that is fully clothed, that is wearing a a nice dress, that is not wearing a ton of makeup and just say, wow, she's beautiful. We're unable to do that. Yeah. I can because I've wired my brain to look at my wife that way. My wife is not a a very promiscuous woman. She she is very modest in the way she dresses, in the way she presents herself. And I did. I think you mean salacious, maybe not promiscuous. In the beginning of our relationship, I was kind of like, oh, you should, you know, I wish you would do this or wear this kind of pants or whatever. And I was realizing like, this is just like my completely sexualized mind attacking her and saying, you need to do this because that's what's beautiful. And that's what I think is attractive. Yeah. But her saying, I don't want to do that because that's not me. And so I've had to, to reacclimate my mind to see her, be able to look at her fully clothed or naked depending on our situation (laughs) and just be like, this is like, that's beautiful. And now I can look at women who are, you know, tell a story like on an airplane one time I was looking at going to Las Vegas and all these beautiful women. If you go to Las Vegas, there's all kinds of people. There's like all these beautiful women. And then I saw this like one mom, right. And she's just like this cool mom. She had a bunch of kids with her by herself. And she was just like smiling and like having a good time. I was like, that's super attractive to me. I wasn't attracted to her. But I just made the mental note. I was like, that's really attractive. 
Yeah. And I was just kind of proud of myself from going from like seeing all these women going to Las Vegas and seeing that as beautiful. And now I just see that. And I think that's actually kind of sad, honestly, that as a culture, we've come to a point where we have to be so desensitized to beauty that that is required that level of men and women, by the way, this is not a one-way thing. That's beautiful. And, and that's attractive. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to me, it's like the idea of training a horse. In the beginning, it's actually quite dangerous to get on a horse that's wild, right? But there are people that know how to train horses and tame horses and subjugate them and cause them to be like, hey, I'm your friend. If you let me kind of work together with you, I can ride you and we can go around and then I'll feed you. I'll take care of you. I'll give you safety, right? That's our sex drive. But you need to learn from somebody who has tamed that horse, who has learned how to kind of control it and subjugate it. And then you can be great friends with your sexuality. But in the beginning, it's fucking like crazy. <laughs> it's kicking, it's kicking up a storm. It's acting up and it's going all over the place. And you just have to learn how to calm it down. You have to learn how to calm it down. And that's a skill set. So honestly speaking, we started with wet dreams. We got into dreams and now we're getting into other stuff. So maybe we should just swing back around and just say, you know, to conclude, we'll end just as we began, which is shame should never be a part of the, any equation. Shame doesn't help anything. If you're having wet dreams, please look at your lifestyle and what is, are you allowing yourself to indulge in stimulation that might be causing some, some reaction in you that's stimulating some, some kind of reaction later that it gets stored. If you can imagine, it's like stimulation that gets stored and then it just kind of lingers around and when you're asleep, it activates it. It acts up again. That definitely is a part of it. How are you going to bed? What are you doing before you go to bed? That affects your dreams. That affects your sleep state. And in general, don't worry about it. But if you would like to stop, just start to practice how to have better rest. And if you would like to learn about lucid dreaming, then just practice, you know, try to say no next time some sexy person's in your dream trying to seduce you. Just be like, no. And then just be like, hey, true father, true parents. Hey, God, could you come here? Somebody help me out. Talk to this person. They need help, right? Just change the state. So fly away. yeah, just fly away, turn into a, a cucumber and just fly away, whatever. So yeah, guys, I hope this was helpful. Just know that you're good. You're amazing. We're all works in progress. But the goal is mastery, self-mastery. And mastery looks like everything you do is creating more momentum for you to become the person that you were born to be so that you radiate. We say in, in high noon, we want radiant individuals to create radiant blessings that create radiant families so that our society can radiate. What radiate what? Goodness, God, heavenly love, intimacy, care, honesty, our virtues, all these things. So please, when you focus on that, the rest of the stuff starts to go away naturally. And you start to, even if you have strange dreams or whatever, you can still wake up and go back to being a happy person. You don't have to linger in that for so long. So anyways, as always, if you guys have any questions, please let us know. We'd love to hear from you. And again, this, this episode was created because somebody asked us to make this topic. A few people did. So mm -hmm. if you have any more requests, let us know. And we're happy to indulge you in your desire for podcast. Okay. Any last words? Bonjour. That's good. Thanks, Andrew. Thank you, dudes and dudettes. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Hello, everybody. Andrew Love here. And I just wanted to add one more point. High Noon is a nonprofit organization, and we are run by donations. 
And although we've been doing okay, thanks to the massive generosity of our founders, the Wolfenbergers, we want to expand higher, 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 higher. We want to make a global impact. We want to reach every family. We want to change the culture. And for that to happen, we're going to need a lot of volunteers and a lot of staff. That's just the reality. It takes money to travel. It takes money to do a lot of the things we do. And we want to let you be a part of this growth. And so what we've created is a donors club, which is a $10 a month club. And when you join, you get a t-shirt mailed to your door. You can get some exclusive content. And we also have some really good goodies for our tribe of people who are part of the donors club that we're going to talk about in the coming months. So I just wanted to invite you to be one of these people. Everybody can afford $10 a month. It's just a matter of whether it's a priority. So if you feel High Noon has impacted you positively or your family or somebody you know, please consider donating. I don't want you to give any money unless you really, really want to. But if you do want to, I encourage you to really, really donate. So $10 a month is, I don't know, a cat a month. I don't know how to measure it. It's a giant hamburger and french fries a month that you can sacrifice in order to help this world become a more habitable, more enjoyable, more connected, more loving place. So please consider joining our Donors Club. It's just $10 a month. We look forward to seeing you on the inside of our secret society for donors. Have a good day, everybody.